Mac Power Users, episode 461, Little Known iOS. Hello, friends. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you doing today, Katie? I'm great, David. How are you? Excellent. We are... uh, we are coming to the end of your run on the Mac Power Users, and it's just making me sad. I think we uh, we looked at the calendar, and, and you realized that because we've got the holidays coming up, our, um, our our show that would normally be recorded as my last show, we're actually going to record a week early because of Christmas Eve, and that means we're wrapping up our recordings next week. That's nuts. That's nuts. So I want to call out to the listeners. We are planning Katie's final episode. Um, there are some things we're definitely going to cover in that show. It's going to be a little bit of an MPU plus. We've got some feedback and things we want to cover. I also want to talk to Katie about some of the things that are important to her as a Mac power user. She, she leaves us, but I'd also like to open it up to questions, uh, from the gang. So go ahead and put those in the forum at talk.macpowerusers.com. I will put a thread in the, um, I guess it will be in the general section or the announcement section, but I'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes for the show. So you can go in there and please uh, put your thoughts in there. Um, you know, Katie wants to uh, keep some of the things going on in her life private, which is totally understandable. So ask your questions accordingly. Uh, we are not going to do clips. I, I also can just not answer. So Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, Katie doesn't want to do clip shows. We're not going to go back and look at some of our finest and uh, unfinest moments. <laughs> Ma- mainly because it would take hours and hours and hours of finding clips, and I just don't have that kind of time. Yeah, so no worries. We're uh, But we're going to have fun. I want to send Katie off right. So if you've got some fun questions or thoughts, maybe even if you want to... Um, uh, send me uh, a uh, a little audio blurb. Maybe we'll put a couple audio blurbs in from some of the listeners as well. So well, now you're just uh, making more work for yourself. Uh, well, you know what? I it, you're worth it, Katie. So we're going to do this right. So I'll I'll put a a, a post up in the talk.macpowerusers.com forum, and we can all figure it out there. But uh, that is going to get recorded just a few days after this show publishes. So if you want to participate in that, uh, get on it is all I'm going to say. Um, so uh, I think that's all. That's it for announcements today. I, all, I don't have any. I'm good. All right. So so the episode today is about little known iOS. And the, uh, the inspiration for this came from a viral tweet a few weeks ago. Um, there's a feature in iOS that allows you to move a cursor around the screen. You know, when we first got the iPhone, you had to move the cursor by taking your thumb or your finger and pressing and holding on the screen where the text is and try with your, you know, fat fingers to get the cursor exactly where you wanted it to go. And that is time consuming because it takes a while for the cursor to engage and it's always hard to get it just right. And there's nothing more frustrating than going through that whole process and then finding out you've got the cursor one or two spaces to the right or left of where you actually wanted it. Uh, so Apple has been making changes for that. And there's a couple ways you can do this. I, you know, I kind of took it for granted, but we've never really mentioned it on the show. Um, one way is if you take two fingers on the iPad and just put them on the keyboard anywhere and start moving around, the iPad keyboard turns into a trackpad, which is really cool. You know, if you got an iPad, got the on-screen keyboard, two fingers, you can move it around. You can very precisely put it where you want. And then if you just kind of press a little harder, you can start selecting at the same time, uh, which is a very clever feature. That came out, I believe, about three iterations of iOS ago, and... 
Um, then when we got 3D touch on the phone, you could do the same thing on the phone keyboard just by 3D touching the phone keyboard. You didn't have to use two fingers because the phone keyboard is much smaller, but if you just press really hard on the, uh, the keyboard on the phone, you can do that. And then there's all these devices that don't have 3D touch. So Apple made this thing where you press and hold on the space bar then you can start moving your finger around and it acts as a cursor. Well, somebody tweeted on um, Twitter that, that they didn't realize that that existed with the spacebar trick and it blew their mind. And it got something like a hundred over a hundred thousand favorites, you know, where it's like a bunch of people didn't realize that feature was there. Oh, it ended up all over the place. It ended up like on, you know, the Regis and Kelly show, although Regis is not it. What's that? Kelly and Ryan Seacrest. Or it's, can you tell it's been a while since I've watched morning TV, but it ended up all over the place. People were talking about it like it was the greatest thing ever, but it's been around forever. And, and you know, the fact is, a lot of the stuff that's really cool about iOS is not that discoverable. It's not obvious that it's there. And there's just a bunch of features on iOS that people don't realize exist. And Katie and I were just talking about the sensation it became. We decided, you know what, let's do a show where we, sh we spill our guts and we tell all the little secrets that we use uh, to get things done on the iPhone and iPad that aren't necessarily obvious. So it's more of uh, things that you've probably always been able to do, or at least been able to do for a while in iOS, but maybe didn't know or maybe forgot and forgot you could take advantage of. I hope that uh, our goal is uh, for you to f learn a few things in the show. There may be some you already know, but hopefully we found or uncovered a few you didn't know were out there. So uh, before we get started, I just wanted to kind of talk about um, the nature of the tap. You know, when the iPhone first came out, it was so easy in some ways, the user interface, because there was only one thing you could do. You could tap on the screen and that was it. But just like, you know, the original mouse had one button, eventually Apple wanted more contextual ability with those taps on the screen. Um, you know, there are some instances where people try to do double taps. And like, I, I'm thinking back to the original versions of OmniGraffle where you play it like a piano, you know, the number of fingers you put on the screen. But, you know, in, in general, Apple's original concept was it would just be one finger tapping the screen, you know, keep it as simple as possible. And that's one of the reasons the phone got more, uh, was so successful to begin with. But as we want more out of these devices, we need more inputs. Um, so there's a couple additional ones. Uh, one, I think the most elusive of these is the long press. In fact, Katie, I had to look it up because I, I didn't know if they call it the long press or tap and hold. I always forget, but Apple's official name for this is long press. You ever do that one? Yeah, and it's very hard to explain to people because I, when I'm talking to, I, I noticed that when I was explaining to my mom about to do something, when I say press, I'll say, well, press, well, press harder you know, for, for 3D press or something. And I'll say, well, just press and hold. Just hold it. Hold it until it jiggles. Okay. It's, it's especially confusing in combination with the third input mechanism, which is 3D touches where you press hard, like what I was talking about earlier, to activate the cursor. And the problem is that, uh, so the 3D touches, most modern iPhones have it except for the iPhone XR. Because of the way the screen technology works, they couldn't put 3D touch in it. But so for just about, you know, I think... <laughs> I don't remember when it started. I want to say it was the iPhone 6 series when we first got 3D Touch, uh, but it may have even been earlier. So most phones that are out there now use 3D Touch, and 3D Touch is pressing hard. And one of the most obvious places you see that is, is if you want to move an icon. 
uh, on your home screen. You know, it used to be that you just pressed hard on the home screen and they started jiggling and you could move them around. No, I, I think you just long pressed on the home screen to make them jiggle. Well, it felt like, I guess in my mind, it was a, I pressed hard against it, which was in effect a long press at the time. But now a, a hard press against the icon on the home screen uh, is a totally different interaction, which gives you some really cool features we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit. Whereas a long press is pressing and or tapping and holding without pressing hard. So it's a, uh, it, it, I find a lot of people have trouble distinguishing between those two. The key that I will say about 3D touch, and we'll we'll talk about this in some specific context later, is once you figure out that this is a thing, you would be amazed how many places Apple has implemented it. Just start trying to use it because you'll find it pops up all over the place. Like, for example, almost all of your app icons on your homepage, if you um, 3D touch them, will give you instant shortcuts. And some of the developers have built in specific things that these can do. So, for example, when I 3D touch on Fantastical, it tells me my my current event and gives me the option to add a new event. When I 3D touch on the Messages app, it gives me three suggestions for people that I'm most likely going to be wanting to compose new messages to. Um, so it's uh, just try it. Just start 3D touching on a whole bunch of things and see what happens. Yeah, I keep uh, drafts in my doc. For instance, drafts is the place I write text down all the time. When you 3D press the drafts icon, first it gives you a list of the most recent drafts you've worked on. So um, it's way faster than trying to load the app and then get into the most recent draft. Because uh, by default, when you when I tap the application, it gives me a blank draft. That's the magic of drafts. But if I want to get into something I worked on before, just by 3D pressing it, I get to choose between the five most recent work drafts, which almost always gets me where I need to be. But it also has a separate set of icons where I can start dictating, I can uh, go to the clipboard, I can search, I can just add a new draft. And all that's done with this 3D press. So we've got this whole different interaction available to us. And honestly, I think Apple's messaging is a little unclear as to what is the long press supposed to do in an age where we have 3D press. Um, You know, is is it going to be something where eventually you just say, well, for for devices that don't have 3D touch, like the iPad and the iPhone XR, um, you know, do we just say that's our equivalent of a 3D press is just a long press? I almost wish that's the way they did it, but it's not necessarily that way all the time. I think this will start to merge because, you know, one place where we, we don't have 3D touch is also the iPad because the iPad screens are just too big. So I, I think we're going to see, hopefully, you know, famous last words, I, I think we're going to start to see some of this merging and, and conforming in future versions of the, the OS because uh, Apple, I, I think, saw this sweet solution when they made this a thing with the iPhone XR and then hopefully, oh, see, see what I just said there? The 10R. And then, and then realized, oh, you know, this is a solution we can implement other places as well. I think I've been calling it the XR the whole show, so that's okay. I, I read it as XR, and I have to make a conscious effort to say 10R. It's weird because with iPhone 10, I was able to get it. But I think when you put the two letters together, something in my brain just defaults to wanting to, you know, call them both. It's like I have to call one letter a number and one letter a letter. And for some reason, that's where my brain breaks. Um, either way. Uh, so it, it's interesting. Uh, I understand that there's different devices that have different touches available to them, which makes this problem infinitely harder. 
But uh, but as we go through the talk today, we're going to talk about 3D press, long press, and simple taps. And um, all of those are kind of useful as you try to get better at doing this stuff. The other thing that I think we, we need to talk about are just basic gestures on both the, the phone and on iOS, because Apple has added a lot of gestures now to iOS. Some of them are more intuitive, some of them are not. But if you can get used to starting to use some of these gestures, you'll find that uh, the way that you navigate your phone and your iPad uh, can be a lot more productive. And I will tell you, one of the things that I've really enjoyed um, about the the iPad, uh, the latest iPad Pro, since they've gotten rid of the, fo- the home button, is I feel like Finally, I have more uh, gesture parity between my iPhone 10 and my iPad Pro. I feel like I'm now for because I was constantly doing the shuffle of going back and forth and using certain gestures on my phone and other gestures on my iPad. I, I was constantly having to do the shift in my brain of where am I and what gestures work here. And now, since they're much more uniform, it's it's been a lot easier transition. Agreed. And uh, and. There are more gestures than you think on, I guess let's focus on the iPhone for a little bit. Um, with removal of the home button, they had to make it easy uh, to replace that that tap that everybody did. Once again, that was one of the reasons why I think the iPhone took off so well is because it was a universal interface. There was one button. If you ever got stuck, you press one button and it got you back to home, which um, for people that aren't familiar with technology, just made it super easy. Well, now they're trying to retrain us to say, well, you still have that, just swipe up from the bottom. But because that is a you know touch-sensitive area there, whereas before it was just a simple on and off button, uh, you can do more. Uh, so in addition to swiping up to press the equivalent of the home button, uh, one of my favorites is swiping between apps um, using that, you know, that kind of imaginary strip along the bottom of the screen. If you just go down where you would be swiping up to hit the home button and just go right or left, it goes between your most recent applications. And uh, that's something that everybody should know about. If you switch between apps at all, you're going to love this, especially on something like the iPhone where you can't have split screen. The other gesture that they added that is all now uniform across the board is on the iPhone, you now have this little bar. It's um, an inch or two, probably a couple inches wide. And it's this little bar. Is there a name for that little bar? Is it the home bar or the multitasking bar? I don't know. It probably is. And I, I just don't know it as we sit here. But there's this little bar that's most of the time is is fairly translucent across the bottom. But if you swipe across that bar, as David was saying, you move back and forth between apps. If you swipe up, then you'll get to your um, your multitasking views. That's what you do to unlock the phone. But if you swipe up and then hold for a minute, you'll get to the multitasking view where you can quickly swipe across and view all of your apps. And if you want to uh, delete your apps, I'm sorry, not delete, if you want to close your apps, uh, from that multitasking, you, you can swipe the individual cards for the apps to close them out. Um, Katie, do you ever have have you got people in your life that go through and just like close all the apps on their phones? No, because they don't know that that's a thing. But I do know people who do this, and it drives me crazy. Yeah, I, I uh, for some reason, the last month, I've bumped into three or four people where I'd be sitting there talking to them, and they would just be talking to me while they're just closing every app on their phone. And the way they do that is they swipe up so you get that card view or that mul- that, that switching view, and then you swipe each one up to close it. And I'd say, why are you doing that? And they'd say, well, they they told me it would make the, um, the phone better. You know, we'll save my battery or something. That's just not true. In fact, I had... Um, uh, someone in my life who I 
I know pretty well. And uh, he had a problem with his battery on his phone. Ultimately, we figured out it was the Facebook app, by the way. But he went into the uh, Apple store, and, and I was with him. It was like a family member, and we we're shopping at the mall. And I said, well, I'll go with you to the Genius. And the guy, the, app, the Genius told him, just close all your apps. And I said, is that really what you guys are telling people now? (laughs) Even now, Apple people are telling people to do that. Well, I don't I don't know that Apple people are. I think one person one person did. Well, an Apple person did it. That that doesn't mean that it's the appropriate company line. Yeah. Either way. um, And in his case, it worked because it did manage to close the Facebook app, which was the one killing his battery. But that, you know, really is throwing the baby out with the bathwater. the, uh, anyway, I, I, it's a pet peeve of mine. If you, you don't need to close all your apps on your phone. And if you have family members that are doing it, tell them, hey, stop that. Uh, either way, uh, so you can do that. And um, you, get, you get to that multitasking view by swiping up and holding. And, and this is part of the problem, I guess, Katie, is it, it, it's like if you swipe up and let go, it gets you the home screen. If you swipe up and hold, it gets you to the multitasking view. And this is just stuff we have to get under our muscle memory, you know. Uh, whereas before it was a little easier because it was a single tap on a button to get to home and a double tap to get the multitasking. So for a lot of people who aren't super geeks, uh, that is a much easier thing to accomplish. From the home screen, you can do stuff too, um, you know, to get your widgets or or to access your camera. Uh, swiping from left to right gets you to your widget screen, uh, which, man, I'm doing that a lot lately. Yeah, we should talk about the widget screen. I'm sure we will a little bit later. And then it will if you swipe um if you swipe from left to right, you get to the widget screen. If you swipe from right to left, is that right? You go from the right to the left. Uh you get the uh camera screen. Other easy quick ways to to access on your phone. They've got so many ways now to get you to the camera fast. Um I, I almost wish that you could make the widget screen the screen that you get when you swipe up, or if there was a preference that you could say, don't give me my home screen, give me my widget screen when I unlock the phone. Um, Who knows, maybe that'll be something we get in the future. So I want to take a moment and thank our first sponsor for this episode, and that is our good friends over at Luna Display. Have you ever looked at your iPad and wished that you could use it as a second display for your Mac? Well, Luna Display lets you do just that, and it makes sense, right? Um, You've got your iPad with you, you always have it, and it already has a gorgeous display, so now you can take some of that extra real estate that you have and use it when you're working from your Mac. Luna Display provides a crystal clear image quality, reliable performance, and wireless flexibility. All you do is you take this little piece of hardware that they've invented, you pop it into your Mac, and you're good to go. And if you don't have Wi-Fi access, no worries. You can just connect directly with USB. And with Luna Display, you can set up your workspace anywhere you want. So you can be productive at the office, in the studio, or on the go. Anywhere you need to get more real estate, you can without the expense of buying a new screen. Luna Display acts as a complete extension to your Mac. It's going to support your external keyboard as well as your Apple Pencil and touch interactions so you can interact with your Mac with just a swipe of a finger. And I can tell you a new use that I found for Luna. I'm not sure it was one that they originally designed it for, but it's great, is a remote connection to your Mac if you're at home. So, for example, a lot of us have these Mac Minis that we've got sitting in our closet somewhere. You know, you can just stick a Luna display in there, and now anytime you're on your network at home, boom, you've got access to your Mac from your iPad no matter where you are. That's a great use for a Luna display. It's super simple to set up. It has greatly improved my workflow. Um, and 
it's nice to just have an extra display anywhere you need. It's super flexible. So if you want to get started with a Luna display, listeners of Mac Power users can get a 10% discount on Luna display by going over to lunadisplay.com and entering promo code POWER at checkout. Again, that's lunadisplay, L-U-N-A-D-I-S-P-L-A-Y.com and entering promo code POWER at checkout. Our thanks to Luna Display for their support of the show and all of Relay FM. Hey, I want to talk about the iPad for a minute because I feel like as much as we've got, you know, gesture language on the iPhone, which most people know, I think there's a ton of basic uh, app navigation gestures on iPad that people don't realize exist. And particularly now that we've lost the home button, uh, this is stuff that can make people faster on iPad. So a lot of the gestures we talked about are the same on iOS, but there are still some dedicated iPad-only gestures. Yeah, like, for instance, switching between apps uh, has always worked on the iPad with uh, the four- or five-finger swipe. It can work with, you know, you can include the thumb or not. But if you are active on any application on iPad and you swipe right or left, it goes between the most recent applications. Um, and that's been great. It's been there a long time, but they've made improvements to that over the last few years. And I think if you learn the four or five finger swipe years ago, you don't realize that it's better now. The first one is that this now works on the home screen. Never worked that way before. You know, it used to be if you did that on the home screen, it took you to the, um, the widget screen or it just didn't work at all. Or it took you to the other screens of apps. But now if you're on the home screen, you don't even have to have an app open, Put four or five fingers down, swipe to the right, you're going to get your most recent application open. So um, just think about that, if you can internalize that, because quite often you're on the home screen, you want to get to an app you've used very recently. You can do that with just a few swipes. Um, In contrast, to do that, the other ways you would do that is you do the swipe up from the bottom, um, which is more deliberate on the iPad, because if you swipe a little bit, it gets you the dock. If you swipe you know, enough and hold, it gets you to the app switcher. If you swipe even more, it gets you the home screen. So it's more fiddly. Uh, Whereas you can just take four fingers, swipe to the right, you're just right into the applications. Um, I think that's a big improvement if you want to do this stuff. Um, And also uh, another way you can do with deal with that is from the bottom of the screen, uh, you know how you do the swipe up to get to the home screen. If you swipe up into the right or swipe up to the left, it goes between the most recent applications. So it's kind of like, imagine throwing the current app to the side and getting the one that you just had. And both of those with a big piece of glass, you get the iPad, either using the four or five finger swipe or the single finger up and to the right, you can get between your apps, in my opinion, much faster that way. Have you found that your use of um, gestures has changed specifically since the iPad lost and I uh, lost its home button? And I realize not everybody, in fact, probably very few people are using an iPad without a home button. But I found since my new iPad Pro without a home button, it's really forced me to use these gestures more often. And I'm I'm finding them a lot, uh, a lot faster. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it makes and and this stuff will work on the iPads with home buttons. So this isn't a limited club. No, I've always had them. I just found that, you know, I knew about them. I just didn't really use them before because I had the I I guess maybe I was a little handicapped by the home button before because I was there and I always knew that it worked. And now that it's not there anymore. Well, you know, now I've got to go the gesture route and I'm finding, well, you know, I kind of really like this. Yeah. Like, for instance, if you have an app open, 
uh, to close the app. In the old days, you'd press the home button and it would close the app and take you to the home screen. Now, if you just take five fingers and just pinch them together, that gets you back to the home screen as opposed to reaching to the side and pushing a button that's faster. But the one that I didn't even realize until about two weeks ago, I discovered by accident, was if you do that five finger close, but you stop halfway, it gets you to the app switcher. And once again, that is way faster than doing it with the, you know, pull up from the bottom and then hover there. The way Apple tells you to do it and the way that everybody's kind of learns is the the way to do it isn't the fastest way. The fastest way is just take five fingers in your current app, close it like halfway, don't close it all the way, and you get to the app switcher. I think that's just a, a great way to navigate around your iPad. So... Our iPads do still have buttons. Most people's iPads have a home button. And if even if you don't have a button, you still have other buttons on your iPads or on your phone. Um, there are things that you can do with those buttons. And one of uh, my favorite features is the triple tap. And that is something that's accessed in accessibility. There's a thing called the accessibility shortcut. And in there, I mean, we we did a show on accessibility um, a while back. It was one of our big numbers. Was it like 350 maybe? I don't know. I don't remember. But but the uh, the idea was there. In addition to all this accessibility stuff that that people uh, with disabilities are taking advantage of, there's also stuff in there that anybody can use that can be helpful. And this accessibility shortcut uh, allows you to put that stuff on your screen or into your iPad uh, with just a triple tap on the home button. But it's not just the home button on devices that have a home button. If it doesn't have a home button. Uh, with the iPhone 10 and later, uh, you hit that side button three times, and it does the same thing. So you can still get it. Uh, I use um, the magnifier, and when I triple tap on the side button on my iPhone, uh, 50-year-old eyes, what I'm going to say, you know, sometimes there's stuff I just can't read. Uh, I triple tap with it, and um, and then it puts it in magnification mode. So then the camera turns on. I can turn the flash on if I want, and I can take a picture of it, and then I can zoom up the picture really big, as big as I need it. I had some, <laughs> Katie, this is a sad story. I had some uh, screws that I was trying to uh, replace on a pair of eyeglasses and looking at them, I couldn't tell if they were Phillips head or standard because they were so small. I couldn't, I could not see the top of the screw. So I did that. I just hit the magnifier, turned it on and then cranked it up. Okay. Phillips, I got that covered. Uh, so that's the kind of example, but you could use it to read small text or fine print and and that's just three taps with the home button or the side button. Uh, what do you use for the uh, the um, the accessibility shortcut on your phone? I, I actually use the same one. I use the Zoom shortcut. But there, there's more. You can have it read the screen. You can have it uh, set or higher contrast. You can there, there's quite a bit of options available to you. But all that's available under the accessibility shortcut and settings. Um, you know, another classic one that people use is the smart invert colors, because uh, what smart invert colors will do is give you kind of a, uh, a fake um, dark mode, because it will it will take like things with a white background and make them dark and but it will do it in such a way where not everything is inverted. So that's a that's another favorite, I think, of the uh, the triple tap accessibility shortcut. I hope Apple makes a real dark mode in iOS soon. Um. Maybe I think the accessibility shortcut is a start. We'll we'll see where they where they go from there. Well, since we've uh, treaded a little bit into the land of control center and accessibility, let's talk a little bit about just using control center and some secret ways to do that. Um, 
Now, on the iPhone 10 and the new iPads, the control center is in the upper right corner. And something I discovered by accident uh, is that that is live as soon as you start pulling it down. So you pull uh, control center down. Um, you don't have to, I mean, traditionally you would think you pull it down, you lift your finger, you tap whatever button you want to tap, and then you swipe it back up. Um, but you can do it faster if you want while you're pulling it down, those buttons are live. So what I'll do is I'll pull it down like with my thumb and then I'll use my, my other hand to turn on the flashlight or whatever, and then swipe it back up with the hand that started pulling it down. So, so if that makes any sense, the finger that's activating control center by pulling it down never leaves the screen. And then I use a different finger to, to do the quick control center action I want to do and then swipe it back up. And it's a very fast process. I've I've always just done it with one hand, but yeah, I don't see why you couldn't. Now you've got the big phone, right? Yeah, I do, and and the iPad is particularly where this is good. Like I get, because uh, I, I play music all the time uh, when I'm working, and um, a phone call will come in, and I'll just swipe down with like my right index finger on the iPad, take the other finger, stop the music, and then swipe it back up, and it's it's a very fast process, so I can still answer the phone. Um, I will tell you, I, I was, like most people, very unhappy with the location of Control Center uh, in, in the newer version. Of, it's not so new anymore, but in this version of iOS. I think I've finally gotten used to it, though. Well, I mean, we've got used to it, but it still, you know, goes back to the theme of the show of an undiscoverable feature. If you just hand somebody an iPad who has no knowledge of it, um, and they're used to Control Center coming up from the bottom how are they going to figure out that it's the upper right corner? I mean, I, I would assume if you gave me one and you said we moved it, I would swipe from the top center down and I wouldn't get it. And I'd swipe from the right and the left. And I'd be like, okay, I guess control center's not here anymore, you know, because it's not there. Uh, so it's not very discoverable, but once you figure out it's there, I guess that's, that's that. Right. Although Control Center definitely is improved in, in terms of what you can do with it. Uh, one of the big things you can do now is you can customize Control Center. And if you go into Settings, Control Center, Customize Control, um, you can now specifically uh, determine, at least for most of those apps, what you want what you want to be in Control Center. So you can add and remove apps um, pretty much as, as you like and, and rearrange them up and down. So what do you, what do you have in your control center? I, I filled my screen, um, but no more, you know, it's not, cause you can actually put somebody on that. You actually have to scroll the screen to get to them. So I, I took as, when I did this, I said, okay, I'm not going to put any more on this than will fit on one screen. And, um, then I, I spent my time picking them. I have the, the camera. I mean, it, by default, there's a, there's a whole set of things that you really can't change, you know, the um, kind of the airplane mode block, the the media control block, the brightness and volume, that stuff is just there. But then, you know, the bottom half of the screen is where it's customizable. So for me, I've got camera, flashlight, um, home kit, you know, stuff that home kit button there is, I think, probably the one I use the most. Uh, Apple TV stuff. Um, uh, I've got the new note button, which I probably could remove in hindsight. I don't use that one. Um, the record screen button, which is cool. Uh, especially even though not just for people like me who make screencasts, but if you just want to show a family member how to do something on your iPhone, make a quick video, the wallet, I use that all the time there. And one of the nice things about this is it allowed me to remove apps from my home screen. Cause now they're in control center calculator, which I would really like to customize. 
the magnif the magnifier also has a button there and timer which gets me into clocks and stopwatches and everything driving mode and low pad low power mode all right so i've got i've got mine a little differently although i think i might tweak mine a little bit based on on yours so what i've got in mine i have a flashlight timer calculator camera home do not disturb while driving low power mode and apple tv I um I might add the magnifier because I, I kind of forgot that that was there because I think the magnifier is probably actually going to be more helpful than my triple tap feature. And maybe I'll I'll convert that over to something else. And um, maybe I'll add voice memos, too, although I don't use that as often as I as I do. Um, I'm, I'm curious about the wallet. Why do you put your wallet in there? I usually just triple tap or double tap the side button to get into mine. Yeah, when I travel, you know, if I want to get to it, I don't know for some I've just got used to going to the control center to get it. Right. Um, but a lot of stuff I just do by um by voice now. So I all of my alarms I set by notes. You know, I really could remove the timer because the timer I now all set by voice now. So those are all things I use Siri for. I probably could too because I set all my timers on my watch. I don't really even set them on the phone anymore. Um uh the the thing about it for me is I like to set my alarm uh, at night and, um, and I, you know, just my wife's sitting next to me. I don't, I don't want to be dictating to Siri while she's sitting there. Then, then hear her say, well, why are you waking up at five? <laughs> <laughs> For, you know, reasons. Yeah. Um, but the, yeah, it's, uh, it's nice though. And the other thing you can do here is getting back to our old friend 3d touch is not only, you know, those icons are do a lot more than you think they do. Like if you long press on, I'm sorry, I said long press. If you 3d touch on the camera, you can get yourself straight to the selfie camera, record video, scan a QR code, take a portrait. So, you know, these these buttons are more lively than you think they are. Uh, the flashlight one I use 3D touch on all the time because, like, if I'm working late and I go into the bedroom, I don't want the flashlight at 100%. I just need it enough that I don't stub my toe, right? I don't want to wake her up. Uh, so you can 3D touch the flashlight and you can set the flashlight level among four different levels, which is really nice. Um, I use 3D Touch quite a bit. You know, the I think that really is the way that you use the Apple remote is with 3D Touch. Um, with the home button, it will give you your the, or the home um, button, it will give you your your most used um, uh, accessories. And then with the Do Not Disturb is the other one that I use 3D Touch on quite a bit because it gives you the ability to set your Do Not Disturb for an hour. So, for example, I should probably set it for an hour right now while we're we're podcasting because I chronically forget to um, uh, turn off my do not disturb or um, until I leave this location or until the end of the event. In fact, I could do that until the end of this event because I have uh, record Mac power users in my calendar. So I'll just do that right now. Yeah, that's a great way. Like if you're walking into a movie, 3d touch that and say, until I leave this location and then you don't have the problem that where you forget to turn, do not disturb off once you get in your car and leave the movie theater. Um, also in those buttons, there's a more activity. For instance, the home kit button, once you open it, uh, you've got your most frequently used devices available to you, but HomeKit has grown in our house. We've got beyond the three by three grid that Control Center gets you. And if I need to get into the application, you just tap the application button in the top of the Control Center widget and it takes you to the application. So a lot of, you know, you can do a lot with this Control Center stuff that you don't expect. 
Um, I do wish that I could have third-party applications. Like, I would very much like to get just press record instead of voice recorder. And I'd very much like to get pCalc instead of the Apple calculator. And we haven't got there yet. Well, I, we also haven't gotten default apps yet in iOS where you, you can't set anything yes as your default app other than Apple's app. So I'm not sure I'd hold my breath for that one. And, you know, while we're talking about 3D Touch, um, in addition to 3D touching through the various buttons on your control center, please 3D Touch on all the all the apps that you have decided to put on your home screen just sit there one day and 3D touch each one and become aware of what's available to you. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but I think this is a good point in the outline to just reinforce that. Uh, don't don't wait until you need the app. Just This is something to do while you're eating a sandwich. Just sit there and click uh, 3D touch on each one. Give yourself a better idea of what's available to you because it will save you time if you use it. I, I think this is probably one of the most underused features in iOS. It must drive the people at Apple crazy that created it because this is a great way. It's almost like a macro language for your phone. And I don't think anybody really uses it. Like yeah, I just, it, a podcast app gets you, you know, lets you jump into your most recent podcast, the, uh, all of these. In fact, you know, we talked uh, about using Siri shortcuts to replace application apps. And I do that to a certain extent, but not as much as I'd like to, because I get so much out of these 3D touches, and I don't want to lose those by not having the apps on my home screen. Um, let's take a break before we continue. We've got a lot more to cover, but I'd like to talk about our next sponsor on the show, and that's our friends over at 1Password. Um, as we record this show, we're heading into the holidays, and one of the best things I like about 1Password, uh, which is really just one of the best applications for creating and managing passwords, is the way it allows you to work with your families. Several years ago, I signed up for an account. It's it's $5 a month, but you get 20% off if you go to onepassword.com uh, slash MPU in all caps. You guys get a better deal than I did. Uh, but it's just, it's a great service if you've got a family and you want to get good password security uh, to your to your wife and your kids or your significant other. Um, my uh, family, they were just nuts with their passwords. I, I talked about it on the show for so long about how important it is to use passwords. And then I, I overheard my wife and my kids talking about their passwords one day and it just scared the heck out of me. So I said, you know, enough is enough. Max Berkey, you got to bring this home. <laughs> so I signed up for the 1Password family account and we, we talked about it and I kind of shared everybody how 1Password works. I emphasized to them, this is kind of important, you know, and, uh, and how easy it is because 1Password gives you the best of both worlds. It gives you really great security, but it also makes it easy. And I showed my kids how you can put important pieces of information in those 1Password secure notes and nobody can see it, and including me, you know. <laughs> I think they like that. So, you know, uh, but they picked up and started using it. So we got this 1Password for family account. Now everybody's actively using it. Well, uh, my oldest reports to me, uh, she's in college now and uh, there was a problem. A bunch of her friends uh, had some internet security problems based on websites they were using. And she did not because she uses one password. She's got a separate, unique, strong password that she's using at every website. Uh, she, you know, using one password really protected her. And I think you should think about that for your family as well. Uh, we're heading into holidays. Like I said, this is a great time 
to kind of share the love of one password and get people using it. You're going to be all sitting around, uh, instead of talking about politics at the uh, Christmas dinner, why not talk about password security? It uh, will do everybody a lot more good. And, uh, one password's got a great plan for you. Like I said, it's just four ninety nine a month and they've got this great system where everybody in your family gets it. They can use the most recent version of the app. They've got it for iPhone, Android, uh, on your Mac, you know, all your hardware, they've got you covered. And this company makes it just so easy. With that account, you not only do you get to use one password throughout the family, you've also got shared cloud data, you've got secure documents. They're always up to date because you get the most recent version. You've got item history and backup. You've got the ability to um, have different vaults. So like my wife and I can have a vault where we put certain stuff about banking, but then we have a different vault where we put the Netflix password. And when I change the Netflix password, the kids get that, but they don't get the bank password. Uh, you get that watchtower service. So they keep pay attention to the services you're, you're using and they'll tell you, hey, uh, this service got hacked since the last time you use it. We, you should probably change your password. And it's just easy to use. And I'm just so happy uh, with getting that account for the family. I think it was one of the really smart moves I've made in the last few years. So you can do that too. Head over to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps. And why not, as we finish out the year, get your family safe and secure with 1Password. Thank you, 1Password, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. All right, let's keep rolling on here. We talked a little bit about some of the accessibility settings, particularly with the triple tap feature, but there's a whole lot more in the accessibilities menu that you can access and that has uh, a lot of great features, whether you're someone who um, needs some of the accessibility features or whether you're just looking to add some of the additional accessibility features to your phone. So you can access those by going to Settings, General, Accessibility, uh, and I encourage you just to, to head in there and explore and, and see what your options are. Agreed. Um, like the, um, uh, if you have uh, any problem with vision, they've got a bunch of features like you can make the text bold or you can make it even larger than the text settings so you can get the text to the right size so you can read it without your glasses. Um, so and we should mention that it just in settings alone, you can change the default text size on your phone uh, to create some some larger text sizes. And I've, I've helped some family members members do that. But if that's not quite big enough or you'd like a little more or you'd like a little bolder, um, you can go in there and, and make it even bigger. So there's an even larger text size with an accessibility or you can make the, the text bold. Um, the iPhone has also gotten kind of a lot of whiz bang uh, motion features that some people like and uh, some people get a little motion sick when they when they see that. So there's a, an option in there also to reduce motion. Have you ever tried that? I turned it off when it also turned off those annoying message things that people were sending around. That was a feature for you. That was a feature for me. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then they changed it. So you still get the annoying message things. Right. So then I, um, I went ahead and turned reduce message uh, that reduce motion feature off. So because it didn't help me. Yeah, the, there's a setting concerning the uh, face ID and attention, whether you're looking directly at it to unlock it or not. I, I call that the Ray-Ban setting. Okay. So, um, because certain, is it is it if your glasses are polarized or if they're not polarized? I think polarized lenses, okay. yeah, yeah. So certain types of glasses, and, and we think it's if they're polarized, will allow face ID to do their thing to come through and, and see your eyes and um, open up your camera. But apparently my Ray-Bans do not. So 
the um, whenever I had my my sunglasses on, which in Florida is a lot of the time, uh, Face ID doesn't work. So I actually had to go in and turn off Face ID attention so that I can unlock my phone with my sunglasses on. When this first came out, I haven't tried it with my iPhone um, 10s, but with the original iPhone 10, I tried turning it off. And then I tried it with it turned on. And it seemed to me like Face ID worked the same with both settings. I know it's supposed to be a little more liberal in if you have it turned off. So it's not looking for your eyes, looking at the phone. I guess the idea behind this is if you don't want your kids to hold up the phone to your face while you're sleeping, then they can unlock your phone. Um, that's not a problem in my life. But I, I, I kept it on because I couldn't really tell much of a difference in terms of... Because if, if it was faster... Uh, with it turned off, I would probably consider leaving it turned off, but it doesn't seem like it's any faster to me. Well, it's more secure with it turned on. Definitely. Uh, the reason the reason that it's in accessibility is um, because some people, uh, for various reasons, you know, have have issues where their their eyes may not. Um, be able to focus properly or may not be able to see, um, you know, various different reasons why why that could be problematic. I have it because my Ray-Bans don't let the whatever infrared through. Um, uh, magnifier we've already covered, but that's a great feature. Although I'll tell you, I'm, I'm liking the, uh, the option in Control Center better because I think that works better. Because instead of just popping you into that little zoom box, you immediate, it just immediately pops you open to the camera with it in magnifying mode. So Yeah, you know, I didn't think about it, but I would assume that that's also available on iPad, whereas there's not really a way to do that triple tap, to my knowledge. I tried before we recorded the show today of doing the triple tap, you know, feature, and I wasn't getting anything. If I hit the top on the iPad, it was just turning the iPad off with the first tap and the volume buttons. It was just turning the volume up and down and there's no home button. So maybe this is just uh, me not, not figuring out what's going on, but I I couldn't access it. And I would like to have the magnifier on the iPad too. The one that I, I used for a long, long time, but I never turned back on when I, when I reset my phone up from scratch and, Maybe I'll turn it back on, but I haven't missed it as much as I thought I would, is the LED flash alert. So there's an option in accessibility where pretty much any time your phone would normally vibrate when you would get uh, an alert for something, you could also have it flash the, the LED. And I found that I liked this feature because I would very often, uh, I basically would just turn my phone into to silent mode as soon as I would leave the house in the day. Yeah, silent mode with no vibration. Yeah. You know, if my phone was across the room or something, I would be able to tell because my, my light would flash. I, I think this has become less of an issue for me, though, since I got the watch. There's a judge up in the Federal District Court of L.A. who has a sign outside his uh, courtroom that says, if you have a phone that goes off during court, it's an immediate fine of five hundred dollars, payable immediately. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, I, every time I'm in his courtroom, I just turn my phone off as I walk in the door. I don't, you know, I just can't afford, uh, you know. So I, I can see how you would probably just keep your phone turned off all the time. Uh, I like the beeps and buzzes the phone makes when I'm not somewhere where it has to be silent. I mean, I, I even keep the sound sometimes turned on my Apple Watch because I just like I like the sounds. The sounds are kind of fun, which makes most people listening to this crazy. I know that. You don't have to write me. I get it. What about um, any specific uh, built-in um, apps that have any little-known tips? Yeah, you know, there's so many. Um, I could, like... 
I was just thinking like OmniFocus, which is, it just depends on what we use the most. Like I spend so much time in OmniFocus. Like people don't realize in OmniFocus, like on the phone, when you're in a perspective, you know, to get back to the home section on the phone, the problem with the phone is limited screen space. So like, let's say you open a perspective uh, or you're working on a task and you say, take me to the project view of this. Uh, there's a back button, but you have to tap that back button four or five times to get back to the home view and OmniFocus. Because in my case, I've got, you know, fold, you know, folders and sometimes subfolders that these projects are buried in. But if you just long press on the back button, it takes you to the home screen. And I don't know that that's documented anywhere, but it's something I use every day. And, um, uh, no matter what app, I mean, we could, in fact, this would be great, uh, for the thread of the show and talk Mac power users, anybody that has a favorite app that has got some crazy buried feature like that, definitely weigh in there. And we can put that into maybe a future impute plus or feedback show, because there are as many tips in this category as there are apps. Yeah, you could, um, you could actually have a whole show on this, I think at some point, but um, but but can I throw out a couple that I think are are worth mentioning? Is per- particularly in Apple's uh, not their stock app is in the stocks app, but their their uh, apps that come with the phone. Um, one that I think is is worth repeating and is probably one that we don't use as much is medical ID. Uh, you can set up your medical ID in the health app, and the benefit of putting your medical ID information in the health app is that. If your phone is ever found by someone, they can access certain information from the lock screen when your phone is locked by tapping the emergency button on the or swiping and tapping the emergency button. Um, and they'll be able to get uh, information, including your name, uh, emergency contact information. And you can even put stuff in there like uh, your blood type or food allergies and more and more people, I think, are, are getting trained to look for this, and first responders are getting trained to look for this. So I, I encourage you to put as much information as you are comfortable in that, that medical ID. Yeah, this is another one where it's worthy to pause the podcast and just do that now because you don't want to forget about it. And I would I would even add to that that if you're around, you know, we are near the holidays, as I was talking about a minute ago. Uh, if you're around other iPhone users in your family that may not be listening to Mac Power users, that would be a great thing you could do for them is to stop and tell them about that and help them set it up. Um, another one, if we're, if we're talking about things that you can enable, perhaps with permission, maybe without, on other people's phones while you're, you're with them in the holidays, besides iCloud backup, that's another one that, that you should definitely enable on people's iPhones. But I, I feel like most of the Mac Power users group has got that enabled. But uh, besides enabling iCloud backup and, and all of those things on your phones, uh, do not disturb while driving is uh, another great one. I... I still cringe because I still have members of my own family um, who use their phone while driving. And I've, I will occasionally say, hey, can I see your phone? And I'll just go into the settings and enable do not disturb while driving automatically. You know, you can set the under the settings under do not disturb and under the uh, do not disturb while driving. You can activate it when connected to car Bluetooth or active, which is probably the better way to do it if they have a Bluetooth um, enabled in their car or do it automatically, which will do it based on things like speed. And if your phone thinks that you're in a car, it um, people might get annoyed with this if you do it without telling them. But 
especially if you enable it with their permission or on your own phones, it's just a really nice reminder that, you know, I'm, I'm in the car now. I probably should put my phone down. How, how do you use it personally? Um, I have it enabled automatically when I connect to Bluetooth. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I used to use it uh, when connected to Bluetooth. Uh, about a year ago, I got an upgrade to my car stereo where it's got now Apple CarPlay. And the way it works is there's a, uh, you know, Apple CarPlay, I guess there are some versions that are Bluetooth, but mine is cable. You know, it's just got a lightning cable I plug into. And that cable is in the center console. Like there's a, a lid on it. You know, you open it up and you stick your sunglasses and things in there, but there's a cable in there now. And I plug my phone in. So now every time I drive my car, my phone is in that box um, with the cable plugged into it. So I, uh, it's not even physically possible for me to see my phone to fiddle with it while I'm driving down the road. And the Apple CarPlay is so good at managing that stuff now that like when a text comes in, it doesn't show me the text. It just says, Hey, there's a text. You want me to read it to you? And um, so I, I've actually stopped using do not disturb automatically, but where I use it, and this is admitting this on a, a pretty popular podcast is going to get me in trouble somehow. I'm sure uh, is I use it sometimes when I'm working at home, I don't want to be bothered. <laughs> I just I turn on um, car, uh, do not disturb while driving. And then, and then that's like an acceptable excuse for people that call me when I don't pick up and they get the message that says, David's driving. He can't talk to you. So they feel guilty, you know, and then they leave me alone. Is that bad? Mm, no. Um, Sometimes people also hack the the do not disturb while driving kind of as a as an auto reply because there really isn't an auto reply to text message. Which hey, Apple feature request, um, and they'll they'll hack that as an auto reply and and customize that message to say something different. Like hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna I, I can't be bothered right now. I'll reply to your message when I get back. And it's really I don't text a whole lot. So I don't, I, I don't find this a, a feature that I need. I'm, I'm a pretty minimalist texter. But uh, if you text a lot and if you get a lot of text messages, then you can kind of use a, a D&D while driving kind of as a with a customizable message kind of as a, an auto reply hack. I just leave it uh, the message that I'm driving and then they don't bother me. <laughs> I can call them back later, or text them later when I'm done. I've actually turned the um, the automatic reply off because I'm like, you know, who who really needs to know that I'm driving? I'll get back to them when I get back to them. What about the clock? You use that bedtime feature in the clock app? I don't use the bedtime feature when I'm in the clock app because I go to bed at a pretty regular hour. I'm, I'm I kind of have that naturally ingrained in the Katie app already, so it's it's not one that I need. You have the fan that turns on. <laughs> I right? have I have the fan that automatically turns on that tells me it's time to go to bed. However, what I do use in the clock app, there's a feature in the clock app in the timer. I use the timer all the time, but I I most often use it on my my watch to set timers and those types of things. However, if you are, you know, please bring this feature to the Apple TV and I'll elaborate in a minute. But if you are watching Netflix or something on your your iPad, and um, you think that you might fall asleep because I, I regularly, which I, I know is probably not healthy, I regularly watch TV when I want to fall asleep. And um, I don't like leaving the TV on at night. So I have a sleep button on my TV. And if I'm doing that with my iPad, you can set a timer for 30 minutes or an hour or so or whatever. And then when the timer goes off, you have a feature instead of having it make a noise. One of the features if you scroll through is stop playing. So you can stop playing a podcast, you can stop playing music, you can stop playing. It will um, honor that if you're playing video. Um, I really would like that feature to come to the Apple TV because um, 
if depending on the app that you're in, I know people say, oh, there's already a sleep in Apple TV. No, there, there really isn't. Depending on the app that you're in, in the Apple TV, like especially like some of these news apps, they'll just keep streaming and streaming and streaming and streaming and using your data indefinitely um, in, in just a loop forever. So some apps have an app by app basis where they'll, where they'll stop after the end of the show, but a lot of apps will just keep going in a, in a loop. That's no fun. Ah. The, the, the bedtime one, it's an interesting feature, but I feel like, you know, with my family, I just, bedtime will tell you, know, you say, this is the time I want to wake up every day and it will start like kind of giving you a prod to go to bed when you should, so you get enough hours sleep, but it's just too hard. I mean, from day to day, things kind of change. It's a, it's a situation, you know, when you have kids, you just never know. Maybe I'm up late helping one of the kids with something or something. You know, so I was thinking maybe it would work for you because, you know, you live alone. So that might make it easier, but I guess it's not, that's not easier for you either. So I, I don't know. I don't it's know. perfectly easy. I always go to bed at the same yeah, time. Well, Bye. Okay, so, yeah, you got, I keep forgetting. you got the fan. you got the fan. That, i got the fan that tells me it's time to go to bed. The fan clock. Um, the, uh, the QR uh, code. A lot of people don't realize the camera can automatically read QR codes. That's kind of cool. Um, and messages. Um, you know, like I said, I am not a great text messenger. I, I use text messaging for communicate information when it's necessary. I don't like to have conversations with people over text messages. I don't, um, you know, if you want to have a conversation, pick up the phone and call me. I'm still kind of old school in that respect. But I really hate other people, including me, in their text message conversations if I don't need to be a part of them. And I am a big fan of muting and leaving conversations. Is that rude when you leave a conversation? No, I think it's great. I love that you can do that. That's a, a newer thing where you can mute, uh, muting it. Like my family, we get these threads going with, you know, 20 people in them and everybody wants to prove how witty they are, which is fun, you know, but some days I got to work, you know, so I, I will mute those threads. I, I had it recently um, with my immediate family. You know, I have a, a, a niece who's um, just turned one now, and um, she got a little GI bug. And my my mom was uh, texting with my sister-in-law, oh, how's she feeling, blah, blah, blah. And there was very descriptive answers going back and forth. I'm like, I, I do not need to be included in this conversation. No, thank you. Goodbye. So Katie left that conversation, and I think I might have insulted them. Well, I guess the point in this segment is there is a lot of customization and even like um, gesture type stuff you can do in applications. So um, if there's an app that you use every day, whether it's OmniFocus or Messages, spend a little time learning those features because you'll be surprised at how much easier you can make it on yourself. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Gazelle, the go-to website for buying and selling your used devices. So if you are thinking about upgrading to the latest iPhone or iPad, Gazelle will pay you for your current device. You can visit gazelle.com, that's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com, and answer a few easy questions to get your quote. Your quote is good for 30 days, so you can lock in your best price before your device depreciates and still have time to decide what you want. Shipping is free and payment is fast. You can get a check in the mail, an Amazon gift card in your inbox, or direct deposit right to your PayPal account. You can also shop from a variety of certified pre-owned electronics or trade your device in for cash. So you can give new life to your used device by heading over to gazelle.com today. 
Gazelle is the trusted online marketplace for buying and selling your used electronics. Again, you can trade in your device by certified pre-owned or do both by heading over to gazelle.com where you can instantly find out what your device is worth and get a quote right away. All online offers are free. Simply answer a few questions to get your instant price quote. And shipping is free and payment is fast. They also accept, in addition to iPhones and iPads, devices like the Samsung Galaxy S9, your iPhone 8, your iPhone 10, your MacBooks, and a whole lot more. And if you're looking to pick up a device, check out their certified pre-owned selections over on gazelle.com. They've got an incredible selection of quality pre-owned devices at great prices. You can shop for iPhones 6 through 10, for iPads, iPads Airs, Minis, Pros, all kinds of laptops, MacBook Air and iPads, um, and Samsung Galaxy phones, with each device being fully inspected and backed by a 30-day return policy. And best of all, they're sold without a carrier contract. And if you want, Gazelle also offers financing through a firm. Simply provide some basic information and you can instantly get approved to pay your device off in three, six, or 12 months. So learn more about the benefits of buying pre-owned or selling your device at Gazelle and give new life to your used devices by heading over to gazelle.com. That's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com. Give new life to your used devices, lock in the value of your phone and trade it in for cash or buy certified pre-owned device for a fraction of the price. Again, that's gazelle.com today to get started. And thanks Gazelle for their continued support of the show. All right, so we have uh, we've covered some third party apps. I thought uh, it'd be fun to talk a little bit about um, getting more out of your device with Siri, and we've done entire shows on it. But there's there, there are some kind of hidden features there that I think everybody should be aware of. Um, starting with uh, getting Siri to call you the right name. Um, you know, I, my my phone always calls me Max Sparky, and I always think it's kind of fun. It, it feels kind of you know. Like there's a little person in there when it says Max Sparky instead of David. And the way I did that was just I went into my contact card and I gave myself a nickname of Max Sparky. Well, the first thing Siri needs to know is for Siri needs to know who you are and who owns this this phone. So the the way that you can do that, if you haven't already, um, is go into the Siri settings and make sure that your contact card is set. So your contact card is probably set as David Sparks, and then you've given yourself a nickname of Max Sparky within your contacts, right? Have you given yourself a nickname, Katie? No. I, I can imagine some sort of Star Trek-related nickname for you. No. I think it'd be great if people in the thread for this would list no. possible nicknames. You don't have to use it. No, we're good. You don't have to use it. I'm just saying, you know, maybe somebody will come up with a great idea for you. Katie is a nickname. That's not the name that's on my birth certificate. I was thinking Batleth Queen, but, you know, that's just me. Okay. Um, so, like any good personal assistant, uh, Siri works better the more information that she knows about you. So, it's also helpful to tell Siri about the relationships in your life. So, for example, you could tell Siri who your siblings are, tell the Siri who your spouse is, or other relationships that you have in, in your life. And you can do that just by telling Siri um, you know, I can tell Siri that Matt Floyd is my brother, or you can also go into your contact card and edit your relationships in there. I, I just, you know, I just realized that if I switch your nickname to Batleth Queen on my contact card, every time you message me, it's going to say that. It is. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Uh, so this relationship. Easily, easily amused. E- these relationship things uh, carry over too. like, for instance, 
um, I've told Siri that my wife is Daisy Sparks. And then uh, I can activate Siri and say, where is my wife? And then it will open up, um, you know, uh, find friends and give me her location, um, which, you know, it's just a little thing. But if you're using this day to day, that stuff, I think, helps. Well, and also if you tell Siri to call Daisy or to message Daisy and Daisy is not as common a name as perhaps Matt is, but if you have multiple daisies in your contact, she's probably going to just do it as opposed to saying, which daisy did you mean? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Very easy to do. Uh, and you're, uh, and you'll find use for it all the time. And I think that that kind of stuff also makes Siri more reliable to you, which means you'll use Siri more often. Another thing with Siri that you could do that I think makes it more fun is you can change Siri's um, accent or um, or language. Uh, I I use British female. I don't know. Maybe that means I'm a weirdo. I don't know. But my my sister uses British male. I guess we're all Anglophiles at the end of the day here in the United States. Um, do you use Siri's built-in voice or have you changed it? I have kept the Siri built-in voice on my iPhone the same, but I did take a cue from some other people and I have changed Siri to uh, the British male voice on all of my HomePods. It's just a way of kind of giving a little different, you know, having a little different person because it's, it's my way of having a, a butler at home. Yeah. And the thing that's, that's odd about the, the, the British female voice is when you live in Southern California and almost every street and city is, has got Spanish roots uh, the British female does a very lousy job at Spanish names. So <laughs> I don't know. Some days I feel like I probably should just turn that back. But uh, anyway, so to change that, uh, you go into, I believe it's the Siri button and the preferences app. And it says Siri voice because you can, there's separate settings for language and voice that used to be combined into one, which made it a real pain in the neck if you wanted to change it. But uh, if, if you're living in the United States, English United States is probably what you should use, but the voice can be set separately. And there's quite a few different uh, options available to you. You know, the Amazon Echo um, has a lot of features that I wish Siri would duplicate. And one of the things that the Echo came out with recently that I have turned on, um, I, I don't have many Echoes anymore, but I still have one at my bedside. I have an Echo Spot. Is that right? The, the little one with the um, that's like a nightstand camera. Uh, nightstand camera. There you go. Uh, it's like a nightstand clock, but it does have a camera in it, which is a little freaky. Um, the Echo Spot uh is um they it's it has something called abbreviated mode that you can turn on just by telling it i really wish siri had an abbreviated mode because i'll tell you she's still way too um talkative for me if you say something to her she's got to make a little comment about something for example if i ask the amazon lady to turn on a switch she just Instead, she used to just say, okay, which was great, but now I'll just get a little dong that's, that just is an acknowledgement tone saying that it's done. Um, Siri will, will make a comment about everything. If I'm lucky, she'll just say, okay. And if I'm not, she'll make a comment about, okay, your scene is set. I've taken care of that for you. No problem. What? And I'm just like, oh, for the love of God, just stop talking. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I get it. I get it's, it. it's not cute anymore. But um, one of the ways that I've combated that uh, a little bit is I've, um, I've gone through and if you go into Siri into voice feedback, you can turn voice feedback from always on to only hands free. 
So this way, Siri will only give me voice feedback when I'm connected to a Bluetooth device, um, headphones, or CarPlay. That's the ongoing struggle, Siri. Uh, on the HomePod front, while we're talking about it, um, as we record this, there's another deal where they're down to $250. Um, I think at Target, yeah. Yeah, and and it seems like that's very common this December. I wouldn't be surprised if after Christmas there's sales where they're $250. I think Apple's probably has a lot of inventory or something. They, they must be motivating people to lower the price. Um, I will tell you that we had a, a party at the house and I took the HomePod out of my office and combined it with the one downstairs to pair them for an evening. And it is not twice as good. It is more than twice as good when you have two of them in a big room. And um, I haven't bought one, but, but boy, I, I can see the, I can see why you have eight HomePods now. I don't have eight. Oh, is it nine now? You got another one? I don't have nine. I do have five, though. Five? I do have okay. five. I, now, actually, one of them one of I don't actually have in my possession yet. One, um, I did get a little note from a birdie that Santa is bringing me one. So, because with from the Best Buy sale. But I'm done. I don't think I need any more. I've, I've, I've got... Um, I, I have, as we sit here and record right now, I have one in the living room, one in my office one in the kitchen, one in my bedroom, living room, office, kitchen, bedroom. So that's four. And then I'm getting one more for Christmas, uh, according to the Santa who said, is this what you want? Is this the right one to order? Okay, I'm clicking order now. So we'll see. Um, And then I'm going to use that to put in my living room to create a stereo pair. I may get another one for the for the downstairs because it is really nice. What colors are you getting? I started with black, but I've actually found that I prefer white. Well, I have a black one in the office and a black one downstairs. So I've got I've got three whites and two blacks. Um, so I I I but I will tell you I've gotten all of mine for two fifty or less. I've either gotten the two fifty deal from Best Buy or um, I've gotten them on Amazon or Refurbs or something. So I I don't think I would have bought them for three fifty, but uh, I think that's right. I think that's the sweet spot and. We'll see. I think you're right. I think Apple's going to either come out with a mini. I think they're going to drop the price. You know, right now they're doing a deal for uh, Apple Music subscribers. They're giving them 50 bucks off. Yeah, I think I'm probably just going to get another one. I'll wait till after Christmas. But the um, it, it's just, that's great. But uh, so that's nice. And the Siri shortcuts thing has got a lot more stable with them where I can trigger Siri shortcuts with them a lot better than when it first came out, when iOS 12 first came out. I feel like they've got that. Uh, more stable now. Uh, we talked about this on the automators. We just did a show on, um, you know, really kind of like super geeky Christmas automation. And the thing that bugs me about the the HomePod is that you can trigger music with a series shortcut and it can play through the HomePod, but you can't address the HomePod directly. Like I want it when I walk in the front door to trigger music through a specific HomePod and you can't do that yet. And that, that makes me a little crazy, but it seems like that's the writings on the wall that Apple's just going to make these things even more automation friendly. All right. Um, the, um, any other stuff you're doing with Siri and, um, you know, that we should share? Uh, nothing. I think that is super notable. So still waiting for Siri to get better. Yeah. Aren't we all this episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by our friends over at Fujitsu and the scan snap scanners. Did you know that they have a new Fujitsu scan snap out? It's wonderful. It's called the IX 1500. Uh, this new one, uh, 
uh, is really fast. It's 30 pages per minute for color scanning, 50 sheets uh, for automatic document feeder. So you can just drop a bunch of stuff in there and let it go. Um, they've got a refined design and it has a touchscreen right on the device. So you can control what type of scan you're doing right as you run it. If you're running a picture, if you're running a document, you can have all those presets and just tap a button on the scanner to get the, the perfect scan you want for the document that you're dealing with. Um, it's perfect for not only using it on yourself, but sharing. It's got wireless support in for both 2.4 and 5 gigahertz wireless network. So you're going to get that, you know, if you want to stick it somewhere else in the house other than next to your computer, you can still scan no problem. And it's also cloud enabled, which connects to a popular cloud services and even ScanSnap's own cloud service if you want for your documents. Uh, it really is a nice refinement of the ScanSnap scanners that we've been using for so long. So if you're ready to get yourself a nice big one for your desk, uh, get this iX1500. Well, with that smart touch screen they have on the front, um, you can change the color and quality settings instantly, or you can put it into auto scan mode. I, I like that idea of being able to control it from the scanner itself so you don't have to go fiddle with the uh, buttons and controls on the computer. Uh, it's just a, an amazing scanner, like all of the Fujitsu ScanSnap scanners. This one, of course, has um, uh, scanners on both sides. So if you have a double-sided document, it zips it right through there. Um, the the feeder, the way it holds the paper on top and the way it collects it on the bottom, they redesigned that. So it's like this curved mode. So uh, it's very unlikely you're going to have a problem with it pushing pieces of paper out of the scanner tray. Uh, which I was occasionally getting with the older one. Um, so I, I think it's just a really nice improvement. So if you're interested in it, um, you can learn about it over at Fujitsu. They've got a special link for our show. And I'm going to ask that you use that link so they know you heard about it here on the show. Uh, but just go to the show notes. You click on it there. And you can check out the new ScanSnap iX1500. Amazing new scanner from Fujitsu. Thank you, Fujitsu, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. All right, so we've talked about um, different hacks for for getting most out of out of iOS. Um, did you want to talk any more about any um, specific third party apps, or did you want to stick with kind of uh, in this time that we have left talking specifically about stuff that's already built in? Well, you know, we we have more in the outline than we have time for. So always, we always have more in the outline. Let, let's go kind of fast through it, and then uh, we can go through that. The uh, first, I, I wanted to mention that I don't think enough people take advantage of drag and drop on iPad. Um, you know, I've been using the uh, the iPad as my laptop now for some time. And uh, putting two apps on the screen and dragging data between them, something we wanted for a long time, but it's definitely a power user move. I don't think, I think there's a lot of people that just don't take advantage of it. And it's really useful. Um, all the time I'm like working on a, like a draft or a note on one side of the screen and I'm on the web on the other side of the screen. Um, my brain will go and highlight text and then hit command C to copy it on my iPad keyboard and command V. Well, all I have to do is drag it over. And now I'm starting to get rewired to where I can do that. And it is a lot faster and easier. So think about that. If you haven't used drag and drop much, uh, open Apple notes. I use bear a lot right now, but Apple notes is a great recipient for this because Apple wrote in uh, a way to drop just about anything into that application. So that gets you an idea of how it works. So a uh, drag and drop is a real thing. Uh, I find it particularly useful going from web or when I'm writing. Uh, so look at that one. Uh, dictating into iOS. Um, I've mentioned in passing a couple times on the show now, drag in anywhere. 
which was such a good app for me for so long, has just been really terrible. It's just for some reason, it just it's like a switch got thrown and the dictation got bad. Uh, it like it misses large segments of sentences. And I mean, I've canceled my subscription. It's still active for a little bit longer because I've prepaid, but I just went in before the show started and tried it again. And it was garbage again. So um, I've been looking at other solutions. There's some great ones. Siri dictation is good. Um, and everybody knows that it's a microphone button. Just speak clearly and um, you'll be okay. But there's that timer on it, which gets solved a couple ways. Uh, one is you can go into the drafts app, which has a way to link those segments together so you can get longer dictation. I think drafts is a great way to dictate. It doesn't cost you any extra, like I've been paying with Dragon. And then um, transcription is also very good. I didn't realize this until the last couple of months, but the Siri transcription, which is different from Siri dictation, is a lot more powerful than you think it is. Have you ever played with that, Katie? Tell me tell me what the difference really is, because I'm not sure I, I'm a... I am. The way I discovered is I'm a I'm a uh, subscriber to the day one application. And for subscribers, they have the ability to transcribe your entries. So I like to call it my captain's log entries. When I get into diary at the end of the day, I talk about like, just like I'm Picard, I talk about what's going on and what's happening. And first I thought, well, that'd be nice just to record my voice because I'm more likely to sit and do that than to sit and type out a bunch of words. But then there's a button there that says transcribe and you press the button after you make the recording, it goes and uses the built-in Siri transcription API. I actually talked to the developer. There's nothing special going on here. They're using Siri and it does a remarkably good job. You have to dictate um, grammar. So you have to say period and, you know, new paragraph and things like that. But it will, I'm just kind of shocked at how good those those transcriptions were coming out. So then I started looking into other apps using that, that API. And one of them is just press record. So that's another one where like, sometimes I will just use the just press record to dictate a paragraph or two for something I would need to do for a client or something I want to write into a contract. And it gives me a very good working version of that text, not necessarily a done version, but a very good version. So, so that's stuff that's built in, doesn't cost you any extra money that you can get a little better with dictation. Funny how such a such a difference in just a few months for in your workflow. I, I don't know what's going on with Dragon anywhere, honestly. I if I knew somebody there, I'd send a note because I, it just seems like it just is it something with my device? I, I don't know. Um I I honestly maybe it's me, but it the thing is just not working that well and that get, made me look seriously at the uh, the other alternatives and I'm realizing they're probably good enough for me. Now, you also use a lot of third-party apps on your iPad. I, I will tell you many of which that I don't use. I, I use a couple of third-party keyboards on, on iOS. Um, and I guess I guess you use these on iOS, not just necessarily iPad, uh, to help you get some things done. And so why these, these don't necessarily, I, I think you are cheating a little bit here with this addition to the outline, because I'm not sure they necessarily fall into our, our little-known iOS tips category, uh, I, I think they are nonetheless notable and, and worth maybe a mention in our, our last five minutes or so. Yeah, okay. And the reason I put this list in here is these are things that are like utilities that improve the overall function of the operating system. Uh, so they're not really, 
the traditional thought of a productivity app is would be something like Ulysses or OmniFocus. These aren't those. These are ones that try and make the, the device work better for you, which is kind of the theme of this episode anyway. So that's why I, I threw a few in here. Uh, one of the best is Copied. It's a great um, clipboard manager. And every time you open it, it grabs the contents of your clipboard on iOS, but it also is on Mac and it shares through iCloud. So you can go back and forth between the devices and access the clipboards from both of them. Um, I, I'm going to keep these short, like Katie said, we're out of time, but copy, great. Um, uh, Launcher is another one. Uh, we're going to do, we're going to have to do a show on widgets at some point, And the launcher is like a power tool for widgets. Um, so you can make additional launchers and they can be uh, location aware. There's just a lot you can do with those. It's great. Uh, any font is a great little tool that allows you to install fonts onto your device. Um, I have very particular versions of uh, Baskerville and Futura and things that I use all the time. And I want those on my iPads and my iPhones and this font, this app allows me to install those fonts into it as uh, my own font. And then it shows up and it, it works seamlessly between Mac and iOS. Uh, uh, the shelf idea for iOS is something that everybody was talking about, but never got implemented. Federico even made a video on how the, the iPad should have a shelf, you know, which uh, the idea is a place you can drop bits of text or an image and then use it somewhere else. Um, uh, on the Mac, we have things like that. Like, um, you know, there's applications that go in your menu bar that in a sense act, act as a shelf uh, on iOS. I think it's even more useful, but there is not one built in. So, uh, there was a battle of the shelves about two years ago when, uh, we got iOS 11 and Apple didn't add a shelf. Then people are like, well, let's make one. And the winner of the battle of the shelves, in my opinion, is Gladys, uh, G L A D Y S don't like the icon, love the functionality app, and I drop stuff in there all the time and then I can get it. In fact, if you're using the iPad, you know, in addition to having the split screen, the left screen and the right screen, you've also got the swipe screen where you can just swipe in from the side of the screen and it's like a floating window. That is a great place to keep a shelf. Just going to say that. And, um, and then uh, the other thing I wrote down is some keyboards and, uh, do you use any th third-party keyboards on your devices, Katie? I do, but I use them very briefly for get in, get out, and and move on. The the ones that I mainly use, I use uh, Grammarly, the Grammarly keyboard, as well as Text Expander. Yeah, the, and those are great ones, and those are both tied to third-party apps and services. You know, Text Expander gets you all your Text Expander snippets. Grammarly allows you to run a grammar check on your device, and I use that one all the time. Uh, I still wish Apple would make it easier to to access these these features through with an attached keyboard because sometimes you have to detach to use them, which is crazy. Um, Gboard is a good one. The Google Board, if you're okay with Google, and some people aren't, but I feel like their swipe keyboard. If you want to try swiping, uh, that's one to try. And I've been trying one lately. I, I was bemoaning on the show a couple months ago how uh, there isn't a good pencil um, keyboard. You know, there was one for a while that that the support stopped on it and it just kind of fell apart. Uh, but uh, somebody wrote me in and pointed me to Mazek, M-A-Z-E-C, which is a pencil keyboard, you know, kind of like the old Palm Pilot idea where rather than have a keyboard, you can just use your Apple Pencil and and handwrite across the bottom of the iPad and it fills the text in. And Mazek is the best one I've seen. I still am not sure it works for me and that maybe I'm just faster to type with my fingers or just press the record button and dictate. But uh, if you're looking for one of those, I think Mazik is the current front runner. 
How's that? I did it fast, right, Katie? You did. You did okay. do it fast. Yeah. Good <laughs> I feel job. like I should get a cookie or something now. Oh, well, you can go get a cookie. That's fine. I've got a I've got a bake this weekend. I gotta do all my holiday baking this weekend. Okay, real quick. What what's the holiday what's the Christmas cookie of choice for you? Oh, I make um the best chocolate chip cookies. So I make my famous chocolate chip cookies. That is a statement. I, I think we need to check that out. It's my mom's recipe and um that's what I do. And I make them, uh, I, I will make them for special occasions, but they're kind of a pain. And so I, I always make them at Christmas and I do, uh, I make these trays that I bring to people or I put them in um, uh, tins uh, and I will do, uh, the, the cookies are small. I use a little melon ball scooper to make the cookies so that they're all perfectly portioned, little tiny cookies and um, have this nice little shape to them. And so I will do, um, all right, so I, I will give you this tip because I will do cookies and brownies. Now, the key to the brownie is not to make a brownie in a traditional brownie can pan. The key to a brownie is to make a brownie cake. Do you know what a brownie cake is? No. Because I'd heard about making them in a cupcake tray. but no. Yes, a, a brownie cake is a brownie in a cupcake. Ah, okay. And, and the beauty of this, you don't have to cook them very long. I, I cook my brownies for 22 minutes in the cupcake pan. Your mileage may vary based on various factors. Um, but the beauty of it, and I don't use the paper liner because I just, I just put a lot of, um, a, a good amount of uh, oil or whatever in the pan, but, um, the, you get the crust, you get the gooey on the inside and the crust on the outside. Yeah, I, I always go for the corners. When somebody puts a brownie tray out, I, I go immediately. If I'm going to eat four, it's going to be the four corners. Right. And this, you get corner all the way around, gooey on the inside. Now, some people will take that brownie and they'll also put like a, I had someone who um, you can put like a, a, if you want to put a little surprise, you can put like a, um, a, a Reese's Pieces in the middle or, or a Rolo in the middle of your brownie. Just stick it in the cupcake tin and bake your brownie around it. Also an option. Never thought of putting a Rolo in a cookie. Uh, uh, no, the brownie in the brownie. And a brownie. Yeah, you know, it's funny how this stuff though goes back to our parents. My mom, there were two cookies my mom made that my wife still makes for me on occasion. And it's totally um part of me is just going back to the childhood, right? But my mom made this like sugar cookie where she would put a candy kiss in the middle, like a chocolate. Like a Hershey's kiss? Yeah, Hershey's kiss. And um she called them kiss cookies and I don't know. It always makes me think of mom when we get those. And then the other one she made was and I, I know this sounds disgusting, but for some reason it's really good. It's a it's the the crunchy chow mein, you know, the the noodle ones, you know, you get in the can at the market with um with chocolate and peanuts and she like just Oh, they're like rice the rice cookies. She called them spiders, but you know, but they're just it's just a clump of the chow mein with peanuts and chocolate, man. It's a mess and everything, but and I can't eat too many of them because they'll make me sick, but man, they're good. Yeah. All right. Well, there's your uh, there's your uh, end of the year holiday uh, baking bonus. Just just from us to you. Okay, that sounds good. Try the cookies in the cupcake tin. It will change your life because it's it's also especially great if you have kids because everybody gets the exact same size brownie. There's no mess. There's no fuss. There's no cutting it. Let them cool a little bit before you pop them out of the tin. Don't worry about the liners. Just you know, spray the tin with Pam. It's great. I like that. I'm going to try that, Katie. Um, so uh, we're the Mac Power Users. You can uh, reach us on Twitter. We are at Mac Power Users. Uh, you can find us over at the forum at talk.macpowerusers.com. You can find us on the web at relay.fm slash MPU. Thank you to our sponsors, Luna, 1Password, Gazelle, and Fujitsu. If you're still listening, go into the uh, forum and help me figure out what we're going to talk to Katie about in her last episode in a few weeks. And uh, have a great day, everybody. We'll see you next week. <laughs>